says, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, pratting against us with malicious words. And not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does what is good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself, and we also bear witness, and you know that our testimony is true. I had many things to write, but I do not wish to write to you with pen and ink, but I hope to see you shortly and shall speak face to face. Peace to you. Our friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. And Father, we humbly pause just to ask for the help and the aid of your Holy Spirit, each of us individually, to have an ear to hear what your Spirit would want to say to this part of your church through this particular portion of the Word of God as we study it together this morning as an act of worship toward you because we believe, Lord, your Word is our food, that it's your spiritual way of communicating to us that we might hear the voice of God and hear what you'd say to us through this living book that you breathed out by your Spirit and, and speak to us through so personally. So we ask this morning, Lord, for whatever that means for each of us, prepare us and would you bless your word and speak to us by your Spirit's ministry as our teacher. And we ask in Jesus' name and everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, it is true that bad apples can turn up in any bunch, and that certainly applies sometimes even in our families, but it also applies sometimes as well in the family of God. It's unfortunate to say, but it is just a reality that bad apples can even turn up in the bunch among the church, that it is possible on occasion that that may happen even in a local congregation. The key, I believe, is to identify bad apples and not partake of their rottenness. Uh, be the same in physical apples. It's the same as well in those spiritual apples among the church family at times as well. Remember, just because somebody dwells or functions among the church does not automatically guarantee that they're a healthy or a safe person. Nor does that as well guarantee that that person is doing what is right or good. In fact, Jesus himself, remember, warned of religious leaders who Jesus in Matthew 23 repeatedly called spiritual hypocrites. He said that they devour, they misguide, they abuse people. And he said outwardly they appear righteous. He said they even pray long prayers as a pretense or a cover-up that is using their religious activities to basically cover up the horrible and wrong things that they may be doing. In Acts chapter 20, Paul the Apostle as well, when he was writing to the leaders in the Ephesians church as he was departing from them, warned them with tears of savage wolves, he said, who would come in not sparing the flock. Paul also said as well that even from among you, that is among the church, he said sometimes 
men will rise up in your midst speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves, wanting to just claim followers and would do, unfortunately, evil things in the midst of that. And that's really, unfortunately, what we have being identified and addressed in our text this morning, showing us, I believe, as verse 11 says about imitation, showing us what not to imitate. A lot of this morning is a lesson in regards to what not to do. A lot of times we want to know what to do, and that's good. But sometimes it's good also to know what not to do, what not to imitate, what not to follow. Now, remember the background from last time in our study together. John writes this personal letter to a man named Gaius, who was a personal friend of the Apostle John. And John was commending him for his good works. Gaius was a solid, fruitful Christian who John knew personally. He was proud of him. Gaius had a good testimony among the church. People spoke very well of him, describing how he was serving the Lord faithfully and helping and blessing many. Particularly, remember, we saw Gaius was known for being a very loving and a very hospitable man. And in a time when as people traveled around to different locations from region to region and the inns, the public inns that existed were not very safe or healthy places to lodge at or to stay overnight in. And also in times when the gospel message and the New Testament doctrine that was coming forth in the early church was predominantly being spread by traveling Christians and by traveling teachers or evangelists or what we might call missionaries that would go from region to region bringing the gospel and bringing New Testament doctrine, Gaius was a man who was opening up his home to receive such people and showing them love and support. We see that he would take them in. He would give them lodging, a safe place to dwell overnight. He was providing them food and safe healthy Christian fellowship and even sending them forth when they would go on in their journey preaching the gospel and bringing the word of God and he did this just to help participate in the work of the Lord and spreading of God's truth and remember John as we saw in our verses last week in 1 to 8 was commending him how faithfully he was helping and blessing these traveling Christians and those who were going around doing what they were doing and told Gaius look you do well to use your personal resources and your home and to express love in that way. Look with me again in verse 8. He said to him, We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers with the truth. So Gaius, you're doing well. We should do what you're doing. Gaius was doing the right thing. Now it's with that backdrop that John goes on now in the letter seeming to address a problem and an issue, something unhealthy that was happening among the church likely where Gaius attended and probably could have been discouraging Gaius from this good work he was doing and making him fearful and maybe even a little bit intimidated to continue on with this good work of showing practical love and hospitality and support to fellow workers of the Lord and why John wrote to encourage him to keep doing what he was. Look with me in verse 9. This is probably what was transpiring that might have been intimidating Gaius and the problem within this congregation. Verse 9, John says, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, pratting against us with malicious words, 
and not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren, that is like Gaius would, taking them in, and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. So notice here in verses 9 to 10, we'll draw some lessons out of this. John, out of love for people and wanting to protect the flock of God here, we find him speaking the truth in love about an unhealthy and problematic person, a man who's referred to here as Diotrephes. John wants to warn and protect and help, it seems, his friend Gaius, whom he's writing this personal letter to, so that he's not wrongly influenced. And he identifies by name, notice, imagine that, identifying someone unhealthy by name. He identifies by name Diotrephes, and he directly addresses the wrong things that he's doing, which had become evident both by John's personal experiences with this man, as well as the reputation that he had developed among the people of God. John, notice, exposes the wrong way that Diotrephes was behaving which was very unhealthy and harmful. I think it is fair to say that Diotrephes was what we might call a toxic person. He was toxic. He was unhealthy. He was behaving in a manner that was unhealthy and harmful. And notice again, among God's people, right among the church, the Bible tells us here. It's very likely Diotrephes probably held some position of leadership, some role of influence within the church, and that's probably how he was able to be getting away with some of the things that he was because of some position he held. And let me just say, before we look at some individual aspects of Diotrephes we don't want to imitate in our lives, Jesus does not like people who are bullies. Jesus does not like people who take advantage of and bully and hurt others, nor does he like those who are rebellious, nor does Jesus like those who hurt others or are troublemakers or problem starters. And let me just say, Diotrephes was all of these things combined. He was involved and engaged in all of those bad habits that are displeasing to the Lord, and therefore he was an unhealthy person to be around. And John, having the heart of the Lord, addresses it head on and he calls him out for what he's doing to blow the warning signal and John's statements point out the wrong and evil ways Diotrephes was behaving and from this as I said we learn things for ourselves what not to do Diotrephes shows us in a lesson what we should not be and what we should not be doing let's point out a few of the things we see about him here in verses 9 and 10 the first thing we take note of here of Diotrephes again if you're a note taker is Diotrephes clearly was a self-absorbed self-centered and a self-serving person self-absorbed self-centered and self-serving notice John identifies him in verse 9 by saying that he was someone look what it says there who loves to have the preeminence among the church, who loved to have the preeminence among the people. Preeminence speaks of a person who has supreme importance. It's a term that speaks of the one who is superior over all, who holds the position of highest rank, the one who's known as the most important, the, the one in charge or the one in control. The Greek term that's used there speaks of literally being fond of himself and enjoying being first in line. 
being recognized as most important and most well-known. This guy loved to be important. He loved and wanted everyone to know that he was the first, that he was the most important. And notice it says very clearly in the text there that he loved the preeminence. He didn't just want it, he loved it. He had a love affair with being important. He had a love affair with being perceived as important, special, the one in charge, the head honcho, if you would. This guy liked being superior. He liked being recognized as most important. He deeply enjoyed being perceived as the one in charge, and he found great pleasure just kind of being the center of attention, being the focal point. Be in the face that everybody knew, the person that everybody sort of revered and, and was impressed with. And he was just in love with himself. He was self-absorbed and self-centered. And listen, that always contributes and leads to a person behaving then in self-serving ways. And that's what we find Diotrephes doing, using people to serve his own self-interests. When someone is self-absorbed and arrogant like Diotrephes, uh, they usually seek to use people for their own self-interests, to find ways to promote themselves and prosper themselves. He's a picture of a person who is plagued with the cancer of pride in his heart and arrogance in his head. And people in Diotrephes' condition are always unhealthy and harmful to be around. They are in opposition to the plans of God and the ways of God and they're unhealthy because listen the Bible teaches in Colossians chapter 1 that Jesus Christ is supposed to have the preeminence among the church it tells us in Colossians chapter 1 Jesus is the head of the body the church listen who's the beginning and firstborn from the dead that in all things he may have the preeminence the Bible teaches that the only personage who's supposed to have preeminence among the church, among God's people, is Jesus. That Jesus would be the one who holds the place of superiority. That Jesus would be the one who everybody recognizes as the most important. That Jesus would be the one that everybody says, that's who's in charge among us. Jesus is. It's the Lord Jesus, the head of the church. Jesus is to be superior and most important. Diotrephes, in his prideful personality, was claiming the glory and the honor that belonged to the Lord Jesus among the church. Instead of giving preeminence to Jesus, he was seeking to attain preeminence and, and latch hold of that for himself. And he loved it when he gained it. And he loved it when any way it was given to him. And it's a very unhealthy thing among the church when a person is seeking glory for themselves. When a person is seeking to behave in ways or even serve in ways where they want to draw attention to themselves and they just enjoy being able to be noticed and recognized and, and in a way where people go, wow, and are impressed by them. That's a very, very unhealthy thing. Listen, please hear me. When we want to be seen and known as important and special, in some ways we're never acting more like the devil himself. Because remember Isaiah 14? What did the Bible tell us that Satan said, the devil said, I will be like the Most High. And, and we in some ways, when we want to be seen as special, important, superior, we are acting much like the devil himself. And the last I checked, the pride of Satan caused a lot of hurt and harm to people. And the same is true when someone begins to behave like Diotrephes. 
among the church. Hey, this morning, let us guard our hearts, every one of us, of the evil inclination that can creep up in our ugly, sinful flesh where we start to become self-absorbed or self-centered or promoting ourselves, or trying to behave in self-centered ways or if we begin to find enjoyment in being seen as important or somehow wanting to be impressive or having the attention or superiority or control in some way. The second thing we notice about Diotrephes that was unhealthy about him is Diotrephes had no respect for authority. We see that again going on in verse 9 there, that he had no respect for authority because John says, I wrote to the church, he says, but he does not receive us. Other translations render those statements from other translations of that same verse. He does not acknowledge our authority, will have nothing to do with us, and will not accept what we say. Now remember, the aged apostle John at this time is, we believe, at this point in time historically, the last surviving apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ from that original 12 that Jesus, remember, chose and selected. John was one of those blessed men who walked with Jesus personally for three and a half years in his ministry, seeing and learning everything from the Lord Jesus firsthand. He heard Jesus' teachings, the ones we have recorded in the Word of God, and how many that aren't even recorded in the Word of God. Personal little Bible studies when Jesus sat around with them and spoke to them by the campfire and shared things with them. He saw Jesus' miracles firsthand, how Jesus ministered firsthand. And remember, then he was one of those 12 men that Jesus, after a night in prayer, together with his father, selected to be one of his apostles, one who was given a, a divine authority for the establishment of the early church, for writing New Testament doctrine and scripture. This is who John the Apostle was, remember. Now, even if Diotrephes maybe had a position of leadership or some role in this particular local church, the bottom line is certainly the Apostle John held much greater spiritual authority among the church generally than Diotrephes did. Which means, therefore, that Diotrephes should have respected and responded to the authority that John held spiritually and been submissive to that and been respectful of the role of John's authority among the church and certainly in a position that held more authority than Diotrephes did. Yet, when the Apostle John, it says here, verse 9, wrote to the church addressing something maybe, we don't know, or maybe asking that, that uh, those who were sent from John would be received, maybe a traveling teacher or maybe John himself saying that he was going to come to the area. We see here that Diotrephes refused to cooperate. John says he wouldn't receive us. He wouldn't listen to what we wrote in the letter. He would have nothing to do with it. He gave no respect to John's authority. He disregarded it, and more than that, from what I see, he somewhat disrespected. I can just hear the attitude of someone like Diotrephes. I don't have to listen to him. I don't need his input. I don't need his counsel or advice or, or help. I, I'm in charge here. I know how to run this church, and I'm the one in charge here. 
I don't care who he is or what his... And, and, and I can just hear the attitude of this, someone who just, again, has no respect for authority and perhaps, listen, maybe even John was writing, it could have been, from what I read here, that John was writing maybe to kind of correct the wrong leadership principles and ways that Diotrephes was behaving. And maybe John, the apostle, sought to confront that as someone who was a spiritual authority in his life. And when he wrote to address and to confront that, Diotrephes didn't like being challenged with what he was doing, so he resisted it and he refused it and he would receive none of it. He wasn't going to hear those comments. Bottom line, this is clearly a man who had no respect for authority in his life. And let me just say, that kind of a hard attitude is not healthy at all. That kind of an attitude. Look, God has established order and authority in government, in society, in our job places, in the family, and in the church. Order and authority is a healthy thing. And everyone, I don't care who you are, everyone should function under some form of authority. It would terrorize me the thought of thinking if I did not have certain individuals who I submit and respect their authority over my life. That would terrify me. And the reality is we all need to some degree someone to provide some level of authority in our lives. It's just healthy. It's God's design. And when someone disregards and disrespects and refuses to, in a sense, in any way cooperate with maybe someone who's a rightful authority in their life trying to talk to them about something or maybe address something that's inappropriate or they don't agree with, and that person is, is refusing to respond to that, I tell you, that individual is not only unhealthy, they are acting outside of God's will. That is outside of God's design. And be careful, be careful, whenever you find your heart losing proper respect or responsiveness to the authority that God has put within your own life. It is a dangerous, dangerous attitude whenever you think you don't need to submit to anyone. That's never safe. And that typically leads you down a really wrong road pretty quickly. Another thing we see about diatrophies that we want to be careful of is, unfortunately, diatrophies, you can tell from verse 10, was someone who was a very verbally abusive man. Look what it says in verse 10. It says that one of his deeds that he was doing, John says, is he was pratting against us, verse 10, with malicious words. Uh, that we're pratting against or prating against, however you pronounce it, I'm not the best in English. But nonetheless, it just means to speak unnecessarily. The idea is, it, it's a term that speaks of sort of gibberish, bubbling over. It just talks of unnecessary speech. So what it's describing is how he was unnecessarily and unfairly speaking false things about the Apostle John and others who were doing what was right. John says he was using malicious words. Malicious words speak of words that are hurtful, speech that is destructive and damaging to one's reputation. He was making false accusations against John and against others who were doing what was right, saying no doubt cruel and untrue things, trying no doubt to get people to question John's credibility for the sake of trying to prop himself up. And so typically when somebody wants to at times prop themselves up, what they'll do then is they'll tear down someone else verbally. And this is what he was doing. He was speaking untrue accusations, 
tearing down John the Apostle and others, and sadly, unhealthy people will sometimes speak in unhealthy and damaging ways like this. And I think from Diotrephes, again, in this part of his life, we learn a few things. First of all, being this, be careful. Be careful when you hear someone speaking malicious words about another person that you do not automatically embrace what they're saying. Because quite frankly, some people are just arrogant and have ulterior motives and agendas that manifest itself in just tearing other people down with their words. And secondly, let's realize that sometimes, as well, when we're making an effort to do what's right, as John the Apostle and others were, they were just seeking to try and do the right thing. Sometimes when you make an effort to do what's right, Attached to that is the devil may raise up the mouth of someone else who is going to maliciously attack you with their words, maybe falsely accuse. Listen, Jesus was perfect and he was falsely accused and he was maliciously spoken of. And so sometimes as sort of a, a, you know, a counterattack of doing what's right, you may find yourself attacked verbally by someone else. Look, if the devil can't get you to do something stupid like cheat on your spouse or go get drunk or do drugs, then he's going to attack you through the mouth sometimes. And people saying malicious things that are unhealthy people. And let us as well, as we look at Diotrephes' actions here with his abusive speech, also be careful that we do not become guilty with our own mouths of beginning to get malicious in the way that we speak about people. And maybe something happens and, and we just begin to you know, really harp on something. We start being very cruel and hurtful and damaging in our speech towards someone because of maybe something that's transpired. We need to guard our own mouths and put a gate over the door of our lips sometimes to be careful. Another thing we learn about Diotrephes in these verses is clearly this man was, you could say, harsh and cruel in his treatment towards people. Do you see what John says there as well? He says, not content with accusing us, he himself also, he says, verse 10, does not receive the brethren. Now he's saying that in contrast, remember, to Gaius. Gaius, who is very loving and expressed his love practically by receiving brethren and lodging them and helping them and feeding them and even sending them forth on their journey in a good way, Diotrephes had no heart for helping anyone. He probably always found a reason why he could not or simply would not receive these travelers. Perhaps, maybe, maybe I'm being speculative, maybe because Diotrephes, knowing his personality, didn't want anyone else to have any attention or platform than himself. And to make sure nobody else had a platform and nobody else ever had any attention, he made sure to keep and cut everybody off because his heart was cold and selfish and this was how he related to people. If people could not serve Diotrephes' interests, he had no interest in them. If people you know, threatened in any way his agenda, he would shut them off and cut them off quickly. That's probably why John says he won't receive any of the brethren. We've sent people there before and, and he won't receive any of them, Gaius. He just cuts them off quickly because he had this unloving, harsh and cruel heart. And again, God help us God help us from ever viewing and relating to people in those kind of ways. God help us as well. Please, Lord, keep from us and from your church people who behave like that toward people. 
that would use people and, and treat them cruelly and harshly and, and for their own self-interest just use people to take advantage of them. Two other things we see about Diotrephes before we move on is this, is Diotrephes we also notice in the last statements here was also, you could fairly say, controlling. He was someone who was a controlling person because see what John says? He doesn't receive the brethren. Look at verse 10. He says, but he also forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. So somehow Diotrephes, whatever position he had or role of influence, he was using his role to actually forbid and stop other Christians, maybe like Gaius and others, from receiving travelers or lodging them in their home if they wanted to. And he was someone who maybe through intimidation or shaming was forbidding other Christians from helping in this way and somehow refusing this from happening. He was doing something to put a stop to what Gaius and others were trying to do. This man was a spiritual leader who had become controlling in unhealthy ways, ruling over people's lives in a way he shouldn't, in an inappropriate way, forcing people to do what he said and controlling in some way what people could do and what they could not do and forbidding people from making their own decisions and actually controlling others. And please hear me this morning. It is not God's will that any spiritual leader control another Christian. The Bible tells us, Paul himself, probably the greatest spiritual leader apart from Jesus Christ as a, just a man writing, Paul said to the Corinthians when he was writing them, he says to them, we do not have dominion over your faith. We're just helpers of your joy, he said. Paul said, this is our role. Our role is to, yes, provide guidance and example and leadership. Paul said, we're, not, we're like a coach. We're just, we're just trying to help you in your walk in a relationship with the Lord. But we don't have dominion over your faith. We don't have the right to control what you do or control what you choose to do or choose not to do. And listen, that's because that exclusive right and role of control belongs to the Lord Jesus. That's Jesus' exclusive role in any Christian's life to have control and rulership. Be careful of ever trying to improperly control another Christian. If you have a role of spiritual leadership or a role of influence, listen, I understand authority has its place, influence has its place, but, but it is unhealthy when we begin to start trying to control people. That's not the heart of the Lord. We need to allow people to have what God gave them. It's called a free will. And it belongs to them. And they're to wrestle that out between them and Jesus. And if anybody's to control them, Jesus is to control them. Jesus is to rule over them. And in the same way, guard yourself. Do not ever allow any person, I don't care what their title or spiritual role of leadership, don't ever allow any person to assume control over your spiritual life. You submit to Jesus. Jesus should have rulership and control over your decisions and actions. The final thing I would draw to your attention regarding Diotrephes is he's not just controlling, he is someone who abused his authority. He abused his authority because do you see what it says? If people went against his idea to receive the brethren, what does it say he did? He not only forbid them, look at the end of verse 10, he actually, John says, put them out of the church. 
He, you want to talk about somebody abusing his authority. He's telling people, you're no longer worthy to worship here. If you're going to do that, then, then I'm sorry. You're, you're not welcome to gather among us. If anyone disagreed with Diotrephes, he found ways to force them to leave the church. And he probably did it pretty subtly too, I bet. Didn't want to look like a bad guy, but he found ways to abuse his authority since they wouldn't submit to his desires. He found a way to force them out, to put them out of the church. Uh, this guy, Diotrephes, was what you might call very fairly a spiritual dictator. And sadly, and I say the word sadly, sometimes people in a church that may hold a position or a role can start to function like a spiritual dictator. I've seen it before firsthand. Maybe it's someone who holds some position. Maybe it's someone who's just been a part of a church, maybe for a really long time, and so they feel they have a lot of seniority. Maybe it's the spiritual leader or church leader in some way, and they have authority, but then they start to abuse their authority. They become controlling, and then controlling then translates into becoming like a little spiritual dictator. And they actually abuse their authority and function in a way like a dictator, mistreating God's people, and they become dangerous. And I'll tell you something, people who are like that become spiritual dictators. They desperately, desperately need the Lord to humble them or to remove them. That's what's best for them and for the body of Christ. And so Diotrephes shows this unhealthy example in his life and John expresses here in these verses what he intended to do if he encountered Diotrephes through a visit John says if I come there he says beginning of verse 10 I will call to mind his deeds which he does John says I, I will address what he's doing I will deal with his wrong and sinful behavior that's defiling the church and harming people John intended to rebuke him to call for correction to, to call for repentance of his wrong deeds. And sadly, sometimes in certain situations, if things get unhealthy or they remain unhealthy in ways like this, sometimes that is just needed. It's needed for someone to actually be rebuked. It must be done for the love of the Lord and the love of his people and even sometimes to help the offender. Again, when you read the pastoral epistles, Paul told Titus and Timothy, sometimes this is what was necessary. Paul told Titus, speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. And this is what John said. I, again, remember, John was the apostle of love, but John said it would be the most loving thing if I come there to confront this, to rebuke him for what he's doing and to deal with this that it might be resolved. Verse 11, he goes on then to say, Beloved, do not imitate what is evil. No doubt thinking of what he just said, but what is good. So he gives a command for Gaius not to imitate the evil practices of Diotrephes or anyone acting like him, but to seek to imitate instead what's doing good. I can hear him saying, Gaius, don't let the evil conduct and what you see as an example in Diotrephes, whether he's got a title or not, be something that you pick up for yourself. Don't start to behave in those same ways or let yourself act in the wrong ways you see him doing. Instead, he says, that's an example what not to do. Now, the reality is this. Because we all have a sinful nature, we tend to be, do we not, magnetically drawn towards doing what's wrong in life. We just tend to be drawn towards doing what is wrong. So we have to resist the temptation and natural bent to imitate evil things that we see happening amongst us at times. And the reality is this. 
we all seem to have, do we not, sort of this natural tendency from childhood onward to imitate. And there's just this natural thing within us. It seems that what we see or what we're exposed to or what we're around tends to kind of just like attach itself to our mind and to our thoughts and and our desires and then it influences us. And we start imitating the things that we've been exposed to or imitating the people that we've been around or that we've observed. We call that, we say, picking up bad habits, right? Oh, you've picked up some bad habits this year in school, young man. And right, and, and, and this is what happens. You know, young children, particularly teenagers, you know, they imitate bad behavior. And if they hang out with the wrong friends, they just sort of naturally pick up bad habits and they begin to imitate evil or unhealthy things, practices they've learned. Sometimes even young people, children as well, they pick up bad habits and evil behavior that they've learned maybe even from older relatives in their life. Maybe their parents. And we should remember that as parents. We think, oh, well, I have the freedom to do this. Yes, but are you stumbling your child? Because did they pick up that habit? And then it becomes a very unhealthy thing in their life. And, and sadly, you can grow up in a home or maybe with an older sibling around and you can pick up these bad habits as you're growing up. But listen, we're not immune as adults. Let's not act as somehow just because we're adults that we're somehow immune and sometimes even adults, I see it, you see it, they replicate bad habits and cycles from the family that they grew up in. And the cycle just repeats itself in the next generation in the family. And a person begins to behave in such a way because of how they were raised or what they were exposed to. Listen, I'm sorry. And I know it's hard and to some degree all of us maybe have a little bit of our own story of maybe a bad habit or something that unhealthy that happened that we were exposed to in our family life. But listen, can I encourage you? Don't imitate that. Break the cycle, man. Be a chain breaker. Say, in my family, it's not going to happen that way. I'm not going to behave the way my father did or I'm not going to behave the way that my mother did. I'm going to break the cycle. I don't want to imitate that same bad behavior. And again, same thing with our work associates or our friends and relationships. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, bad company or evil company, excuse me, corrupts good habits. It's a great Bible verse. I read that when I was a brand new Christian and boy, that really solidified for me. Look, if you're going to walk with Jesus, you need to rethink who your primary associates are. Because I got saved out of the world and I thought I could just be saved. And I was ex- totally excited for the Lord, but I was still trying to hang out with my old friends. And I kept, this is, this is not working here. And, and that verse, when I read it in my devotions, evil company corrupts good habits. So the aged apostle John, this man of love, this mature believer says in wisdom, beloved, don't imitate what's evil, he says. Don't do that. But look what he does. He says, instead, imitate what's good, he says in verse 11. Now, this to me is insightful because the best way to avoid imitating what's evil is twofold. Number one, it's consciously resisting the temptation to imitate what is evil, but also it's intentionally preoccupying yourself with just doing what's good. You see what he says? He gives the command, don't do what's evil, don't imitate what's evil, and he follows it up with imitate what is good. I think you could fairly say if you and I are busy and occupied doing what is good, you won't have time to do what's evil. Sometimes the best way 
to avoid doing what's evil is to just be busy doing what's good. You can't travel in opposite ways at the same time, right? You cannot be going forward if you're going backward, and you can't be going backward if you're going forward. And so the same thing applies spiritually. The best way to avoid going backward morally or spiritually is to start and stay actively walking forward. If we just stay occupied and intentional imitating what you know is good and that's what you're occupying yourself with, the wonderful thing is it's probably going to keep you from imitating what's bad because you'll be busy doing what's good. I love Galatians 5. It says the same thing. It says walk in the spirit and you won't gratify the lusts or desires of your sinful flesh. Oh, I keep struggling with this area of sin. I got to stop it. I got to. All right, I'm going to count to 10. One, two, three, four, five. Lord, help me. And, and we, do, we have all these crazy things. And, and we have all these. And listen, I understand repentance. I understand self denial. But do you want to know the best way to not fulfill some desire, some sinful temptation and desire of your fleshly nature if you're struggling? Be more consciously committed to just walking in the Spirit. Because you can't walk in the flesh if you're walking in the Spirit. They're, they're, they're mutually exclusive. Just like you can't walk forward and walk backward at the same time. So the Bible says, walk in the Spirit and you will not gratify the lusts of your flesh. It's an amazing thing. To be able to just, instead of focusing on the failure, the sin, and trying to beat it, just focus on walking in the Spirit more, and you'll be so preoccupied walking in the Spirit, you'll find that you're not walking in the sinful flesh in certain ways. And John gives the incentive why it's good to imitate and follow those doing good rather than those doing evil. Verse 11, he says, he who does what's evil, excuse me, he who does what is good is of God, but he who does what is evil has not seen God. So you see what he's saying there as he talks about imitating? One's conduct, he says, is being influenced by the condition inside of them. Though everybody, look, everybody fails periodically. <laughs> I, I understand that. And in the same way, it's fair to say anyone can fake being good for a little while. Both of those things are true. But the reality is this, one's regular and routine actions are what reveal is true about a person's condition. Their regular practice, a person's consistent actions reveal their relationship with God. He says in verse 11 there, he who does good is of God. The idea is, is in a relationship with God, they're being directed by God because God is good. And the goodness of God is what's directing them. They're spending time with God in his presence. They're in fellowship. And so they're reflecting the goodness of God by the way that they live. And he says, together with that, he who does or practices, verse 11, evil has not seen God. The idea there is the exact same. That person has not met or encountered God yet. They're not seeing God. They're not having an experience with God. Either they've never met God yet or they're simply not spending time in God's presence so they're living in darkness and therefore their heart is dark and that's why they're doing the dark things that they're doing because they're disconnected from God's light. Our spiritual condition cannot be accurately, I understand it, cannot be accurately detected or assessed by just one action. Not by one action. However, the Bible teaches, especially read 1 John, it's much about this. The Bible teaches our regular practice 
and a person's routine conduct and practice and lifestyle over time reveals and indicates their spiritual condition. This is what John's saying in verse 11 here. Jesus said the fruit doesn't lie. He said by their fruit you will know them. He said in Matthew 7, even so every good tree bears good fruit but a bad tree bears bad fruit. And I would say, as John says, imitate what's good, not what's evil. Keep these principles in mind as you get to know people. As you sincerely want to evaluate somebody's condition. Be patient. Be fair. Wait. L let the fruit be manifest. Watch and wait for fruit and, 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 and don't prejudge somebody negatively too quickly. On the other side of that, let me also say, be wise. Okay, and when you see apples, that's an apple tree. And if you have a severe, deadly reaction to apples, and they're poisonous apples, and they're bad apples, don't justify and lie to yourself. They're apples. You shouldn't hang out with the apple tree. The fruit speaks for itself. And we have to be wise. We have to be careful. We don't want to wrongly judge someone but we also want to, don't want to lie and justify to ourselves because the fruit is evidence. The fruit is demonstration. John says in verse 12, Demetrius has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself and we also bear witness and you know, he says, that our testimony is true. So he commends this other man now, Demetrius to Gaius, who probably was a Christian worker maybe who John had a lot of respect for and because of the questioning and the way you know, Diotrephes was cutting everybody off, maybe John wants to validate and endorse this guy. And so he speaks of his good reputation. Maybe John was going to send him next and he wanted Gaius to know, look, this guy, look what he says, has a good reputation. He says he has a good testimony from all, that is everybody speaks highly of this man. He says he, he has a testimony from the truth itself, that is he lived a life consistent with the truth. And John says, if that weren't enough, verse 12, he says, we also can bear witness. In other words, John's saying, we can bear witness. This guy has good character. He's a solid, godly man. doesn't matter how Diotrephes responds to him. Gaius, we're telling you, Demetrius is a solid man. He's got a good reputation. And he's commending the reputation of this man uh, here that he's referring to. And, and, and I think as we look at this, it's a good reminder to us that having a good reputation is a really important thing. John's validating his reputation because his reputation preceding him would be what opened the doorway for him to be received and to do what he wanted to do. The Bible tells us a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, loving favor rather than silver and gold. Proverbs 22, 1, 22 verse 1 tells us. Again, a good name, a good testimony like Demetrius here, having a good reputation, please hear me, is valuable. It's very valuable. In the same way a bad reputation is not good, having a good reputation is a very valuable thing. It says it's more valuable than silver and gold. It can open greater doors. It, it's profitable. And I say that because of this. Beware sometimes, and I talk to fellow Christians, I can just talk to a young man not too long ago, loves the Lord, but younger man, beware of kind of the cavalier attitude that's kind of, I don't care what people think of me. I don't care what people think of me. Listen, I understand you want to please the Lord and not be a people pleaser. I understand the value of that. But by the same token, you should care what people think of you. Because you're supposed to have a good testimony. 
And you're supposed to have a good reputation. Your reputation is hugely impacting and it may be the primary thing that you have to validate yourself. It may be the one thing you have that gives you doorways and opportunities to interact with people. And again, the biblical qualification for service and leadership, Acts 6, 1 Timothy 3, one of the biblical qualifications, a good reputation. A good reputation is a valuable, valuable thing to hold. Well, look how John closes his letter, much like the second letter, as we saw already. He said, I had many things to write, but I do not wish to write to you with pen and ink, that is a, a letter form, but I hope to see you shortly, and we shall speak face to face. Peace to you. Our friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. So just like in his prior letter, John once again shows what I call his old man wisdom. His old man wisdom particularly on the subject of personal communication. He says, look, writing has its purpose. I'd like to say a lot more things, but, but I don't want to put it in pen and ink. I don't want to write it down. He understood writing has its value as an effective tool. Much of New Testament scripture, again, God speaks through writing. Nothing wrong with writing. However, John understood there's something very valuable and important about face-to-face -face communication. That God has created us to be personal, relational beings. And a dynamic happens that can't be experienced in face-to-face -face communication that just can't take place through writing or reading. And so John says, look, I have a lot more to say, but I want to wait because shortly I hope to see you and speak face-to-face. -face. And let me just say, when it comes to people that we care about, and when it comes also, listen, to problematic people, the most efficient way of having meaningful communication is face to face. It takes a little bit more effort, but the value of it is worth it. And I look at John's final words here. Let me leave you with this this, this afternoon. He says, I hope to see you shortly. We shall speak face to face. Let me just say, I think Jesus could say that to all of us. I hope to see you shortly. And we shall speak face to face. And when I see Jesus shortly and speak face to face, I don't want to be like Diotrephes. I hope I'm a little bit more like Gaius and Demetrius. Let's stand together. Let's pray.